Welcome in, Mason Voth, Alec Bussey, Gabe Schwartz here with you. Mason Voth of EMA Online, Gabe Schwartz kind of of EMA Online, and Alec Bussey no longer of EMA Online. He is, I guess, the leading man kind of at the Hoosier right now, and uh, he is back in Big Ten country ready to uh, see what the Hoosiers have on tap. And uh, sorry to any Indiana fans that listen to this, but probably just waiting on basketball season like the rest of you guys. It's okay. Every conference has that school. The Big 12, that's KU, even though they're actually looking forward to football this year because uh, they've got irrational thoughts of winning at least seven games. Um, we'll see if that ends up happening. But we are brought back together one last time to discuss uh, all the big moves that took place well, fi- finished up last week with realignment because it impacts all three of us in, in different ways. Number one, obviously, me covering a Big 12 school in K-State. Uh, they have been through quite the, the different scale of emotions over the last three years with this. And Alec now back in the Big Ten. His alma mater's in the Big Ten. He covers a school in the Big Ten. That is significant to them for different reasons, especially as one of the two power conferences in the term, you know, what the word power actually means. Super. And then yeah, super. And then Gabe is uh, covering this from a lot of different angles. He is in Big 12 country covering Big 12 teams now, whether it's for us at EMA Online or for his TV job. But also, he uh, has a very unique perspective on this because he is a graduate of one of the schools that is switching conferences and one that uh, their administration is doing so reluctantly with Arizona State. So, I think the proper way to kick this off is to get the thoughts of a man whose team uh, just switched leagues and is coming to the Big 12 from the Pac-12. Well, I I, I keep going back to it being very bittersweet. Um, and that, and I also have admitted and have realized that I have alternative thoughts than um, most ASU fans in the sense that I, I think that as a collective fan base, uh, most Arizona State alums – and people who root for the Sun Devils um, have netted out at this was the right move and we kind of needed to make it happen. Um, While most, I would say, are probably not the biggest fan of, they did not, they weren't rooting for this outcome. Um, I would say I have an alternative perspective of just growing up in this area, rooting for and watching uh, Big 12 basketball and football all the time for the last decade plus, um, really year in and year out. And so I kind of just parachuted into the Pac-12 life four or five years ago, I guess five years ago at this point. Um, and I think that that league greatly was disrespected. And I actually think, and we can have this conversation about who the media, who the big, bad corporate college football media was rooting to die, um, whether it was the Pac-12 or whether it was the Big 12. And I actually think that there should be some unity here because I think both groups have been persecuted um, and have had their fair share of struggles. Um, The Pac-12 was a very entertaining product, whether it produced national championship caliber teams or not, year in and year out. You you couldn't, whether it was because the play was good or whether the play was bad, you couldn't turn your eyes away from the car wreck. And if you were turning your eyes away, then you were ignorant. And there were a lot of ignorant people. Um, and so that's part of why the back has died. 
Um, and it saddens me because I think the Pac-12 was great. I think that what makes college football and college basketball and college athletics in general uh, great is regionality. And I think there are a lot of people um, living in glass houses on the East Coast rooting for the upper Midwest and the southeastern portion of the nation to completely control this uh, mechanism. And because of that, we've gotten to a point where it looks like we're only going to have four conferences. And that was probably the end all be all, but it sucks. Um, and I think that uh, it, it it just is terrible that the Pac-12 is gone. But ASU and Arizona fit very well culturally. Colorado obviously fits well culturally. And Utah had only been in the league for a little over a decade. So I don't think that any of these schools um, are like losing their identity, even though Michael Crow is having an identity crisis. Um, so I will cede the floor back to you guys. And if you'd like more takes on Michael Crow, I can provide them uh, as someone who has spent uh five minutes in an elevator at the Rose bowl with him like six, four years ago. That's a um, long elevator ride. Those elevators are slow, Alec. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's nice I, but I'm, I'm very excited for the short drives to whether it's Lawrence or Manhattan to watch ASU play. I could even go to Ames and see him play reasonably. Uh, Stillwater makes sense for, from here. Um, and I'm pumped that they will be, here for the big 12 tournament at least until 2027 after that i'm pretty sure brett's trying to get this thing to vegas so um yeah well yeah you know brett your mark he is a he is a winner in this right now but the i have reservations on him long term as a conference commissioner because i what i will say is this like there are people that want to kick him and and you know whatever and wanted the discounting from the get-go brett your mark for this first year in the short term is the right guy for the job in the Big 12. He saved the Big 12, and he he brought them out better than what they could have been on the other side of this. Because 2021, out of nowhere, you know, a week after Bob Bowlesby says at Big 12 Media Days, we're as united as we've ever been, boom, OU and Texas are gone. And so that starts the Big 12 scrambling. Well, in addition to that, then Bob Bowlesby's like, I'm getting too old for this shit and decides that he's going to hang it up and the big 12 has to go out and find somebody. And I give Brett Yormark credit for this. The man had a job with the Brooklyn nets, with rock nation, with all these big time entities. And he, he said, Hey, I, I wanted, I was interested in the college landscape and being involved in it. And for him to leave that stuff behind and take this big 12 commissioner job, he deserves credit for that. And he came in, and in conjunction with Bullsby, helped deliver the four schools that helped stabilize the Big 12. Those schools are basically meaningless to the league right now. Uh, Houston adds value in basketball, but as we know, basketball doesn't bring in the money. Like, that's not what this is about. It's nice to have some of those. BYU is probably the most valuable brand out of those four. But now that you landed the four corner schools, that's significant. But your mark helped do that, and he fought off the Pac-12 in this process to some extent, because I've got a thought on that. And then also naysayers in the media and why I think that, you know, he kind of fought off the PAC 12, the PAC 12 could have totally avoided this problem and been what the big 12 is right now. If George Klyovkov had made moves and taken big 12 schools and brought them in, maybe you still lose USC and UCLA. But if you add in 
schools from the Big 12 that in 2021 would have gladly jumped. If you had come to basically any of them in August of 2021, you could have had your pick of the litter and the Big 12 would have been the league that dissolved and, and dried up immediately. But he didn't. And instead, what he kept doing was acting holier than thou and decided, hey, we're, we're going to be fine. We're going to be able to, to do this just however we want it, whatever, and didn't extend a lifeline to the Big 12. And to me, the start of, you know, George Klyovkov's, um, like, first act of war against the Big 12 was when he goes in and does the whole alliance thing with the Big 10 and ACC, because that right there was a very clear signal to the Big 12 that, oh, we're leaving you for dead. We don't, we don't care about you right now. Because if you felt like the SEC was gaining all that power, then the four conferences uh, that have autonomy left over should have been involved in that. It would not have killed you to add another conference that's right in the middle of the country to be a part of your alliance. And they didn't, basically signaling, hey, whatever. And you move on from that. Brett Yormark gets in. He says, hey, we got to jump the line for this TV deal. He did that. It was obviously a smart move. It left the Pac-12 scrambling. And that's really what started this domino the third time around is that this TV deal that George Klyovkov was having to hunt for, number one, the standard TV you know, networks didn't want it anymore because they, they think they've given out enough money at this point in time. They've got their product they need. And the Pac-12 didn't hold as much value without USC and UCLA. And he also wanted to kind of go the non-traditional route and was diving into the streaming. And if you look at how those numbers were going to stack up, the Pac-12 was going to have to sell an ungodly amount of subscriptions on Apple TV to get to the number that the Big 12 had, and if they wanted to surpass it even more. And if you look at what Apple TV has done for other sports packages, like I think the MLS season pass, what I've seen, they think that they're at like 800,000 to a million subscribers right now, but they also can't tell you how many of those come with people's season ticket packages, how many are being given out for free through like mobile carriers. And so there just wasn't anything there for them to do. And I think Brett Yormark did a good job of getting ahead of all this. And he realized that safety is better than making any risks in this time to have better financial gain. And it paid off for the Big 12 when Colorado got fed up with George Klyovkov continuously lying to them, basically, and saying, hey, deal's coming, deal's coming. We got this going. It never came. They jumped, and that created further instability. And that was really Colorado's whole purpose in this. Colorado, there's no financial gain in adding Colorado right now except for the fact that you were able to pull that last Jenga block. And that was the final one that did the PAC 12 in because then Oregon and Washington saw, okay, whatever they explored the big 10 deeper. And once those two were going, then you knew that the other three and the four corners were going to have to find a new home as well. So Brett Yormark did the best that he can. And to tie this in one last time from the big 12 angle, he is good in this moment. Long-term though, a guy like him may not be the fit to be a commissioner of a college conference because that's not his background. Obviously we see that with the Mexico series. that's going to come up. We don't know Um, how that's going to work out, but also um, like Gabe alluded to the big 12 basketball tournament should not leave Kansas city ever. We know this, even when you had 12 schools in the league and half of them were residing in Texas and Oklahoma, the, the big 12 basketball tournament was not as successful and did not feel as big of an event when it was in Dallas or Oklahoma City. It has to be in Kansas City. That is its home. You have arguably your three your three most passionate basketball fan bases that are going to travel right there in KU, K-State, and Iowa State. It's an easy drive for them. They support it really well. 
And then, you know, I, I just think I, I've likened it to, you know, schools, they hire their superintendents and each superintendent is meant for something different. You have like the lifer in education that is there that is meant to just bring stability during basically a time of peace. You're not looking to get a bond issue done. You're not looking for this. Like you just have everything set for you. It's going to be a nice and easy 10 years, but you could have a, a school district that is looking to take over a pretty big overhaul with, Hey, we need new buildings. We need a new football field. We need all this. And you need to pass that bond issue. You have to bring in a guy that knows how to do that. And you have to bring in a hired gun. And that guy may only be there for two or three years, but he's going to come in, deliver, and then hand it off to somebody that can handle the stability aspect of it. And I think that that's probably something that the Big 12 in a few years should probably explore or think about with Brett Yormark is, okay, we appreciate what you did for us, but the big the big ideas you have are kind of going to tire on us and may make us a little bit more wobbly than we want. We need somebody to come in more like a Bob Bowlesby who had that experience as an athletic director at all these schools and, and worked in administration and college sports before. But that's the Big 12 aspect of this and what Brett Yormark was able to do to kind of keep things together. Alec, from a, an Illinois grad perspective and a guy that's covering Indiana, you obviously, your schools are set. They are not moving. They're fine. But they're going to get the added benefit of four new schools that bring a lot of value that are exciting opponents. It's going to add a little bit more travel, but uh, what do you make of this for the Big Ten, and how do you see it from your perspective? Yeah, well, first of all, I kind of want to comment real quick on something you said about Brett Yarmark that I fully agree with, um, and I think what really kind of led to this entire round of conference consolidation, which is kind of what I'm leaning towards calling it now instead of realignment, I think Brett Yarmark can – I don't think there's enough credit that Brett Yarmark should get for a couple of things in relation to the Big 12's new media rights deal with um, ESPN and Fox. One, he was able to jump the line and start negotiations well before they were supposed to, um, and that allowed them to go to the table and negotiate with Fox and ESPN. And I think one area where he was masterful is having an accurate understanding of what his value was and not trying to compare what his brands were and what he could offer to what the Big Ten and the SEC could offer. And I understand that most of the listeners here are going to be Big 12 based. But the value of those brands aren't the same as what exists in the Big Ten or the SEC from a football perspective. And I know that that can be sometimes tough to hear. And um, that's just kind of the reality of it. But I think Brett Yormark deserves a ton of credit for going to the negotiation table with Fox and ESPN and having an accurate understanding of what his brands were. And then also negotiating within that contract to leave open the door for expansion for power five programs and bring them in as fully vested members starting in 2024, 2025, because to me that showed that he had a even deeper understanding of what the market was saying and where the finances for networks like Fox and ESPN was and kind of probably knowing that CBS and NBC probably didn't have a huge interest in expanding their broadcast interests to the PAC 12 because they were already signed up with the big 10 um, and understanding that there might just not have been enough money out there for the Pac-12 or another conference to get a media rights package that was satisfactory to their members. And he did that and expanded themselves, expanded the Big 12 with the most prominent brands from the Pac-12 that aren't going to the Big 10. Now, from a Big 10's perspective, um, adding Oregon and Washington it certainly helps the Big Ten um, on the football field. I mean, you're adding two programs who actually have been to the college football playoff. Obviously, we know USC and UCLA are bigger brand names, but 
guys, neither one of those programs have actually played um, in the CFP. Now, I know USC was basically a, a win away last year, maybe a Caleb Williams hamstring injury against Utah um, in the Pac-12 title game away from playing in a playoff. If he just hadn't season. painted his fingernails, he would have played a little bit better. Ah. Well, and the thing with adding Oregon and Washington, in my opinion, is that like there's a lot of there's a lot of changes that are going to come with it. Um, the Big Ten had already announced a scheduling model for 2024, 2025. That's going to be thrown out the window. Um, and I one thing that I find really funny, and Gabe, I think that this will segue well into some of your thoughts on it, and just from our text conversations, is I find it hilarious that the Big Ten was like, we don't want to be the one that deals the death blow to the Pac-12. Um, and for all intents and purposes, that's like shooting the guy and saying, I didn't shoot him and handing the gun off to the man to your left, right? Like, th- they killed and, the pac and, and no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's shooting the guy, and then it's handing the gun to the guy to your left and then saying, shoot his friend. Sure, yeah. <laughs> that's a better way to say it. Like, you, you, for all intents and purposes – killed the Pac-12 when you took USC and UCLA. Now, I will also say this from a Big Ten perspective. I don't have an issue with the Big Ten responding to the Texas and Oklahoma move that the SEC made because that was inevitable. Like, I don't blame them for making that move, but don't act like you didn't kill the Pac-12 when you took USC and UCLA. And then further, don't say you want to be the one to kill the Pac-12 by leaking that to various national press members across the country. And then be the one to actually kill them for good when you take Oregon and Washington before the three other corner four schools, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah, officially go to the Big 12. Because the Big 10 literally killed the Pac-12. And I think that that's just really unfortunate for college sports. And um, it's no secret between the three of us that, like, I greatly enjoyed watching the Pac-12. Gabe obviously greatly enjoyed it. And to be fully honest with you guys, like my enjoyment of the Pac-12 grew a ton last year, living alone in Manhattan, Kansas, and not having stuff to watch late at night. Like I'm someone who's up late at night, and I greatly enjoyed coming home on a Saturday after covering a K-State game at at Bill Snyder Family Stadium against whoever, and being able to stay up until 2 o'clock watching whatever Pac-12 game was on, or spending my Thursday nights up until 1.30 watching whatever Pac-12 game was on and texting in group chats about it. Like, that's gone, and I think that that's really sad um, for college sports. But at the same time, I think we can all agree that it's hard to not get excited about some of the future matchups that are going to be happening um, in the Big Ten, SEC. And I, and for me, even personally, I think the new Big 12 is going to be um, incredibly fascinating to watch from a football perspective because I don't know if there's one dominant program that's going to rise to the top in that league. But you know what? The 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 contrarian in me and the like what the hell are you guys thinking nationally is like every everybody who was like oh the Pac-12 never has a national title contender. Oh the Pac-12 nobody's ever going to the playoff. Like all these types of things. I know that the new college football playoff mechanism and like system and whatever is going to get bids for all the all the conference champions probably going to move down to 5 best conference champs and then seven at large instead of six and six. But like the new big 12 is going to be what the pac 12 was. Like it's going to be extremely competitive. There's going to be, because I understand that USC brand wise was the top dog, but in terms of like executing on that brand, they were Texas level of incompetent under clay Helton. The last decade. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and Steve Sarkeesian, who, by the way, Texas decided, hey, that's our guy. That's the guy that's, that's right for us. Exactly. So, yeah. But because they were – To be sweet. fair, real quick on that, no one was going to have success at USC at that time because of the NCAA violations. Like, Lane Kiffin got slammed there because of the violations, and whoever was going to get hired after – Kiffin wasn't going to have success either because the violations were still hanging over there. They just hired Coach O like they they were supposed to. Who who knows how things? Yeah, that worked out great for LSU long. But they did national championship. That's what the like the new Big Twelve is going to eat itself alive. I don't know. There's there's just if you look at recruiting rankings, there's very little chance that any of those teams is going to recruit at a great enough level that there will ever be a talent disparity that leads to one overwhelmingly dominant team. And so if you get through a season in the Big 12 undefeated, you're probably going to look a lot like that TCU team did last year where it's like, oh, they could have lost to Baylor. Oh, they could have lost to K-State. Oh, they could have lost at KU. Like all these different games that they played they could have lost and then they wouldn't even have ended up there. There's not going to be these dominant teams. So it's just going to, it's going to be an entertaining product. It's going to be one of the best leagues to watch week in week out. You're not going to be able to be like, Oh, like Cincinnati, West Virginia, that doesn't seem like a great game. Well, it still, it still should be entertaining. ASU Arizona should be a fun game. Even if Arizona is a terrible football program, which objectively they are at the moment. Hey, they're um, rising baby. They got a five-star commitment. Who cares? So there, that's my whole point is like everything that people in the Midwest uh, and the East Coast uh, ragged on is in terms of showing their East Coast and Midwest bias against not wanting to stay up late at night because not everybody's built like Alec. Um, <laughs> that is what the <laughs> built different, I guess. So, <laughs> so that that like in my heart of hearts bothers me is that everything that people said that they hated about the back 12, like is what the big 12 from a football product is going to become. Yeah. Uh, Especially if your Mark starts doing Friday night week, Friday night games and sending good teams on the road on short weeks, you are going to lose. Like that's what they did to Oregon. That's what they did to Washington. Those teams that had playoff chances, they got sent into Stanford had this happen too. stupid, stupid, stupid scheduling stuff. Don't do that, Brad. I think to be I, fair, I think the Big Ten offer like Friday night games. Yeah, but what Ohio State plays theirs like week one every year. Like yes, I, yeah. when is Michigan it's, it's play your lower level? Make your lower level. That's league. that's the thing. Like this year, we see it in the Big Twelve. I think there are five or six Thursday or Friday games being played, and the very first one in conference play, K State is at Oklahoma State on a Friday night. Like the first or second weekend in October. Um, I think TCU plays one of those Friday games. Now, given theirs is might be against Oklahoma on like the day after Thanksgiving, so a little different there. Um, the one thing this year that at least K-State has the benefit of, same for Oklahoma State, is they get their bye week just after that. But also, the sake of the bye week kind of is negated when it's just four weeks into the season, other than you're getting this extra time to prepare for a Friday game. But that's one of those things that they're going to have to do. And I think like, it's a good point by, by both of you, like TCU this past year, they went undefeated in the regular season, but they did it by the skin of their teeth. And basically every big 12 game, except for Oklahoma, who they blew out and 
mm, Iowa State. That's basically it because KU was a tight game all the way through, and there was no scoring in the first half. Second half, it blew up. They won by a touchdown. They won in double overtime against Oklahoma State by three. The K-State game, they were down at halftime, and if Chris Tennant makes a kick or Will Howard isn't the second quarterback to go down and Jake Rubley doesn't have to come in and take one brutal quarterback sneak, like that game could be different. And you just keep going down like West Virginia battled with them and they got the 10 point lead. I think with a garbage time touchdown at the end where Duggan just threw up a prayer. I think I won a bet or something. I, on lost, that one. A I lost a bet. On oh, that. Yeah. That was our picks this week. I got that week. I got the cover on that one for the frogs uh, tech. They beat by 10 that was, they had a little bit of breathing room there, but it wasn't, you know, it was never over Texas. They, they won by a touchdown Baylor, the last second field goal. And then obviously they lost in OT at the big 12 championship to K state. So they basically had the perfect season go through this version of the big 12. And the one benefit that you will have, I guess, in this new league and all these leagues with 16 teams or more is you could get a schedule that looks really nice and, and just works out in your favor, but it's going to be total luck of the draw most years because you're not going to predict like, oh, this team's going to be really bad or whatever. It's just going to be how it works out. It's like, like this year. Yeah, I mean, we, we've already seen it. The Big 12 is at 14 teams this year. The Big 10 has been at 14 teams. The SEC, same type of deal. The way their scheduling format had worked out is if you were in the SEC East, and you had some pretty weak like SEC West opponents for your cross-division play, you could get there with a pretty – like Missouri when they first got into the SEC, those teams were playing in SEC t- championship games. Like, and now they still weren't bad. They history. were fine. It yeah. used to be it, – it's flipped. Yeah, it I used think, to be the East. But like Missouri yeah. lucked out and other teams have been the beneficiary. And then they get there in that championship game, and whether it's Alabama or LSU – they're getting their butts kicked because they're just not good enough, but their schedule afforded them that. And so depending on what you get, the big 12 could very easily see in their future, the the two or three best teams aren't playing in the title game because maybe they had a tougher schedule and you see the fourth team go through and, and they waltz to a, you know, maybe it's your boy, Kenny down, down in, in Tempe and they get a nice cushy schedule, and all of a sudden the Devils are playing for the Big 12 championship. Like it's a possibility. So, well, let me let me those things. Let me just ask the question bluntly to either one of you guys. In the 12 team playoff model, do you think there's ever one of the future 16 Big 12 members that plays for a national championship? No, no, I don't think there is either. And I could go even oh, further. Okay, 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 okay. Wait, wait, wait. Slow, slow the roll. Slow the roll. I don't. I don't think any of the future sixteen programs in the Big Twelve will play for a national championship. In the national championship game, yeah, I don't think it'll ever happen. Means they're going to have to win two games. Okay, well, I, I wouldn't say ever because at at some point the deck has to get reshuffled again. And well, very- in the current model that we are expecting to have, whether it's the six and six like you mentioned earlier, or it gets reduced down to five and seven or four and eight, whatever it is. Like, I don't think that there's a path for a big 12 team to like Mason said, play for the national championship because of the talent disparity between those programs. And I know that TCU beat Michigan, right? Like in the semifinal, but you can beat Michigan in the set and you can beat Michigan in the quarterfinals if you're TCU. But now that means you, you might have to play you Alabama. Can get, you can get lucky once, but, but you're not going to get getting twice. lucky a second time but, because you don't like have t- to get lucky to be if you're like the four seed 
you don't have to get lucky to beat the five. But you have to get lucky to beat another team twice. Yeah. No, but here's the thing. If somebody goes undefeated in the Big 12 and they are a top four seed, then they get a bye and then they can get a game against one of the not talent, like complete dominant, you know what I mean, programs. Like if, or you're going to match up with it, or you're going to match up with like 10 and 2 Alabama. Okay, if you run into 10 and 2 Alabama, yeah, you're probably screwed. Of course. <laughs> I think yeah, we, we saw that we saw the Big 12 champ go up against uh what, 10 and 3 Bama this year or something? Uh whole game out. changes if Will Howard hits Ben. Well, that's true. I mean, <laughs> no, uh when, hey, real quick, just so everybody's aware of this, when Deuce Vaughn ripped off the touchdown run, I did Alec turns this. to me and says, <laughs> "This game might be over. I I don't think they I don't think they care. I don't think they want to be here." <laughs> and I was like, "Um, it's like ten minutes to go in the second quarter. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I agree have, to that yet." Or may not. I will say such a thing. every time that game because the SEC Network it plays that over and over again with the Liberty Bowl from this year and. I will always watch it up until the deuce touchdown run. And then I know, all right, I don't need to see any more of this game. Like I can turn it off right now, but it's always fun to see him rip that off. And you, you know, there was some belief there for a minute, but I, I, maybe the big 12 champ can get there. And it's certainly possible. Like that one of these teams could be put together. Like we've seen in like the BCS era, a team that doesn't have what you would consider national championship caliber talent have the actual level and talent ability to win a national title. Like I will use 2012 K-State as an example. That was a team there that on paper, outside of Arthur Brown at linebacker, who was, you know, top recruit in the country, come out of Wichita East and ended up at Miami before transferring to K-State. Nobody else on that roster, really you look at it and go, oh, that guy, that's the dude that's on a national championship caliber team. But K-State had a Heisman finalist quarterback in Colin Klein that, yes, Colin Klein, not a good quarterback in, in you know the normal sense of the word, but he is a great college quarterback. And if you have one of those, you have a chance. And they had, obviously, Tyler Lockett on the roster as a sophomore, like under-recruited guy that had the bloodlines. His dad and uncle were K-State greats. He came to K-State. He built himself into it like, you can get lucky and have it happen, but the likelihood of it, I think, is very low. And like TCU this year makes me think of this. Like they had a lot of that, and they had even more NFL talent than that K State team had in 2012. But it took some fluky, lucky plays to beat Michigan, even though I thought they could beat Michigan. The likelihood of them being able to do that a second time to get to a national title, I just don't know that it would happen unless there was something else to happen. Like it could be like college basketball where. Maybe that Alabama team this year where every fifth game they played, they throw up a clunker and anybody could kind of sneak up and beat them that's decent. And so if you catch them on the right night, you could get past them. And so then maybe you get a TCU and their second matchup to get to the championship after beating a Michigan is somebody, I don't know, like Florida State gets in there. Like Florida State going to be a fine team, but you know they're not, they're not world beaters. You're not fearful of them like Georgia or Alabama right now. And so maybe that could happen. But I, I'm more so with Alec on this that I just realistically don't see it happening. And honestly, like, if you're in if you're in any league outside of the Big Ten and SEC, but more realistically, like, you could throw in a couple of those ACC schools if they get it figured out. But more likely than not, our national champions for a long time to come are going to come from the Big Ten or SEC. 
Well, and let me kind of transition this back to realignment and away from, I guess, the on-field implications of it. And this kind of transitions well, in my opinion, is I think that this is one of the sad parts of the realignment effects of this is that did did watching that's not a good example did ucla actually have a chance to win a national championship in football no probably not does texas tech have a chance to win a national championship in college football no tcu they lost 65 to 7 like they got there right but like they were never going to beat georgia and the score of that game is a perfect example of why. Well, I think we have two real quick. I think we have two examples of this is K-State and TCU, the two best teams yes. from the Big 12 this year, played the two best teams from the SEC this year. And they're both Chris Kleiman and Sonny Dykes obviously know what they're doing as football coaches. And what both of them did decided we have to do everything we possibly can to be aggressive and try to win this game every single play. We can't play yeah. conservative at all if we want to do this. And it didn't work out. You know, obviously for TCU, it didn't work out in a big way. For K-State, it was just a few little things that if they convert, it does maybe change the game a little bit more. But they still got their butts kicked by those two schools. And I think that's the one thing that we could see. Like Cincinnati played it kind of conservative when they played Alabama in the Cotton Bowl, and they made their semifinal, and they didn't get totally run out of the building. They yeah. kept it, you know, Alabama somewhat. slowed up though, but they never had a chance to actually win that. K State made plays, gave themselves a chance, sure. and that's what TCU tried to do, but they just didn't have enough overall because thing you have to be a hundred percent basically on your execution, and you couldn't be. So I think we've seen that already where these schools that are going up against the great ones where this there's this disparity, they know that they have to try everything they can and you'll get a 65 to seven because I don't think that's actually indicative of how much better Georgia is than it's TCU, not. but it's, it shows what it does show is that TCU knew they have to do a lot of these things to win the game. And the, the two outcomes that could have happened in that were TCU wins the game or they get beat 65 to seven. But here's the, so where here's, I was, here's the, 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 the thing that bothers me the most out of all of this is that you you essentially have five children, right? You've got all the five power five conferences and you've got the NCAA, which is the equivalent of an absent father, like literally has just left the house, has not paid any attention to what's going on. And then they show up back and they're like, let's cash some checks and let's make sure that Oh, did, did Billy like put his clothes away? Did he fold his laundry and put them on the, yeah. Like, and that's the equivalent of like the minor infractions that they'll come in and then they'll spank them for. And like, that's all the NCAA does. And they don't think about the fact that like, Hey, it doesn't make any logical sense to have a national college football product that we would like to have some representation from around the country. And then we create this tribalism in turn, not even tribalism between fan bases, we create a tribalism between conferences in selling their media rights to Which the point so that got to a point where we don't have, like, it's just not even equitable. Like, that is the thing that like, you have Big Ten stuff. fans, and I can say this as someone who grew up watching the Big Ten and has covered the Big Ten for a majority of my career. Big Ten fans respond to the SEC's claims of winning all the national championships in college football, basically since the start of the BCS, what 17, is that what it is? I don't know if 13, 17, I don't remember what it is. It 14, the top of my head with, okay, well we make more money than you. 
our media rights deal is bigger than yours. That is so stupid. Who cares? You don't see any of the money. Your schools yeah. aren't getting that much better because of the money. Like I cover Indiana football now, right? Do I think that Indiana football is going to get better than Florida state football? Because they make $70 million annually in Florida State. It's currently slated to make like $34 million annually from media rights. No, I don't. I, I actually have zero belief in the world that Indiana is going to get better than Florida State at football. Because they're just innate resources that Florida State has in their backyard in comparison to Indiana. Or even my alma mater, Illinois. Or Purdue. Or Minnesota. Like I think it's so stupid that college sports fans care about the media rights distributions between the conferences. It's so stupid and it means nothing. What You're matters in college what matters in college sports is the regionality of it and making every fan base feel like they can go to their game, go to their school, their alma mater, the school closest to them on a Saturday and feel like they have a chance to win that Saturday. There's nothing in America that brings together a large group of people more than college football in the in terms of the athletic sphere. Nothing fills a large group a large area in America, more than a college football stadium, and that includes the NFL. And, and well, that's, that's gone why, now. That's why I felt icky. Like, as an ASU guy, I felt icky being like, we have to move to the Big 12. And it, wasn't because, it wasn't because of the media. Like, it, I, can, I feel like I can say it wasn't because of the media rights. It was because being left behind meant you weren't a part of the competitive level, the highest yeah, competitive yes. level. And, and – and- and even as we just discussed, being in the Big 12 probably isn't really giving you the best chance. It gives you the illusion that you're in it. And I, this is what my point has always been when I've talked realignment is I didn't want this to get to the point where there was a very realistic possibility that the Big 10 and SEC became their own thing. And I tried to explain this time and time again to the guy that I hosted a show with here in Wichita where I said, look, you're much different. You did not go to a Division One school. I know you say you're a Nebraska fan, but you don't have the same like level of get into it. Like You're not in Lincoln every Saturday. I'm in Manhattan every Saturday. And the way that I watch college football is I watch Kansas State, number one. My alma mater, the school I cover, they are number one. Number two, I don't give a crap if Michigan and Ohio State are playing. If TCU is playing Oklahoma State to decide who goes to the Big 12 title game, I'm watching TCU, Oklahoma State. I'm watching K-State and then the Big 12. And then after that, I will find a national game that is appealing to me if I want to. And I understand that you have to have the broader appeal. That is why the Big Ten and SEC are, you know, they, they are bigger right now. Number one, they have the, the bigger fan bases too and yeah. are in areas also that, like the South, the only thing they have is college football. And I, I get that. But they also, you know, they have these big products now. They will get the general fan base to watch them more often than not. But you also couldn't be erased from that. And my fear was is that the Big Ten and SEC would become their own thing. And then that leaves the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12 in with another group of people. And the top two split off and they do their own thing. And guess what? I would have zero interest in watching that level of football again. Like maybe I'd catch it occasionally. But it's fun to be able to be at the same level. You feel connected to them. So I am more likely to watch a Michigan-Ohio State game because I feel like in some small way, it is connected to my school. It's connected to my conference because what happens between Mississippi State and LSU to decide who finishes second or third in the SEC, it matters in some way to the Big 12. 
And I didn't want college football to get to a place where it was so fractured and so segmented that we had the top two in the Big Ten and the SEC, and then a little bit of a drop-off where we had three or four conferences in the middle, then the group of five schools, and then FCS. Like, it's just too much, and you would you would fragment people even more than what you already have in the in the sports landscape. And we've seen, like, the, the Mountain West is not producing schools that are flirting with getting into the playoff or the BCS anymore. Now, they lost two of them, TCU and, and Utah, but Boise State was still there. Boise State has not mattered in football for a, a decade now. And Boise State, that is a fan base that probably feels like they got left behind. I, I can guarantee you that is a fan base that watches way less Big Ten, SEC, Big 12 football now than what they did back in 2011 when Kellen Moore was there and, and giving them a chance. Like, things have just changed, and I just didn't want my school to be left out on that. Gabe obviously didn't want his school to be left out on it, and I think that we are fortunately to a place where that's not going to happen, and enough of the big-time decision-makers realize that probably isn't good for college football, but I think it did take a lot of this realignment and motion to make sure that that's not what the outcome was, and that that was my biggest concern in all this, and so for the, the fact that we avoided that, um, I, I'm totally okay with it. I you know, if K-State had to leave the Big 12 and it was the Big 12 that dissolved, it would be sad. But ultimately at the time, I would have been on my knees praying and thanking the Lord that K-State isn't going to be left out of this new world of college football like the four leftover schools in the Pac-12 feel right now because I feel for Washington State and Oregon State. Like, it sucks. And they are in this exact position that I was scared that I might be in or other Big 12 schools might be in. And, and that's, not, that's not a great spot to be. And I, and I hope the best for them, but also in hoping the best for them, I, I don't want the Big 12 to be the league that gives the best for them because they don't, they don't deserve it and it's not going to help the Big 12 at all because this I mean, is about the money at this point. It's wild to me that, like, there's a very real chance that, like, Cal does not have a football program in the next 10 years. And we're going to look back and be like, Marshawn Lynch went there. Aaron yeah. Rodgers went there, like Mitchell Schwartz went there, like Cam Jordan went there, and they don't play football anymore. And that is uh, indicative of like how neglected and how often the West Coast has been told that football, uh, their football doesn't matter as much. And because of that, yeah, like some of the fan bases aren't as big. And I'm pumped that ASU is in a conference now that football matters to people. Like football is what people care about on Saturdays in Manhattan. It's what people care about on Saturdays and Ames. And for a lack of a better like phrasing, it's what people care about in Lawrence, even when they suck. Like people want to be good at football. If mm -hmm. if there's bad every school is a football school. Yeah. Everybody's a football school until they're not. You know what I mean? Like until they're truly not a football school. So I think that's exciting. But it, you can rag on George Klavkov, and I will actually provide some sympathy for him. Me too. When you work for, uh, when you are a commissioner, you are only as good as your presidents will allow you to be. And he was held back so, 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 so much by presidents like Michael Crow, who were so snobby and so elite and so into their academia buddies that I've been told that Michael Crow thought that it was best for ASU to always be aligned and in a conference academically with Stanford and Cal. 
Now, you two, who I'm sure the first conversation that you guys had with me when you said I went to when I said I went to ASU was like, oh, what a great party school. That's the brand, right? Every time I've ever teed it up on a golf course with a random person and they've said, where'd you go to college? And I said, ASU. They're like, oh, what a party school. And whether it's true or not, whether the brand has gotten different or not, whether the whether factually the academic realm of ASU has gotten better, which since he took over, yes, credit to Michael Crow, the academics of ASU have actually gotten better. Gabe's got a good degree now. According to U.S. News. Um, <laughs> that is true. But when you live in academia and all your buddies are telling you this, you have a false sense of reality. And so Michael Crow, um, I don't even know who the president of Utah was, but him and the AD there thought that they were best academically in the Pac-12 until USC and UCLA bolted for the Big Ten. They thought the same thing. Washington and Oregon thought the same thing in terms of being there. Like ideally they all wanted to stay together. And so if I'm painting it in like the best light possible, I can say that if you want to empathize or think about Best case scenario, best case scenario is that the Pac-12 kept saying no to the Big 12, not because they thought they were elite, which I think they did, but because they didn't want to kill a conference and they wanted it to just stay the way they were. Now, that was probably not in touch with reality, not able in terms of for guys who think they were pretty innovative, not very innovative of them. And Sadly, if they had just purged the Big 12 when they had the chance, when the Big 12 was vulnerable because they lost Oklahoma and Texas, they could have had KU. They could have had KU basketball. They could have had K-State, which is a solid brand. And realistically, the schools that wanted to come but were told no because secular universities, they could have had TCU. Imagine Mm -hmm. imagine how much better the Pac-12 footprint looks last year if you know that next year – TCU football is coming in and they just make this yeah. run or Baylor basketball is coming in and they've been on the come up, but because these schools were too snobby for it, it didn't happen. So I don't even, I, I honestly feel bad for Klyovkov because I know that he had so many ardent supporters, just like Crow, who is like your grandpa. Who's like, can you imagine this technology? Like the Apple TV stuff. He, the best thing he yeah. could say on Saturday was that, with one touch of a button, you can have it on your phone. Like, dude, download the YouTube TV app. Everybody, every other league does that now. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go further than this in defending George Kliakoff, and I don't want it to come off as like I'm a defender of him because he is definitely at fault for some of this. Yes. But I kind of think he was just put behind the eight ball from the get-go, and I think more blame deserves to be put on former Pac-12 commissioner Larry Scott. When he got to the Pac-12, and Gabe, you'll be able to give more light to this than I will be because you covered the Pac-12 under his reign. But he signed, at the time, I believe the richest sports media contract at the time with the Pac-12. And that obviously is, I think, the current one that is finishing. But he deserves credit for doing that. But think about all the other mess of situations that Larry Scott led in the Pac-12. Having... Um, the establishment of Pac-12 Network and not partnering with a Fox or an ESPN to allow it to be um, sent across the country and paying for that. That's millions and millions of dollars to do. Having your conference headquarters in San Francisco in a massive high rise because it, it looks cool and it looks look cool. Um, and, and spending the rent to do that is it's it's way it's a waste of money. Um, straight up and those are, 
And those are off the field situations. I mean, about a decade ago, the Big Ten wanted to have a scheduling agreement or scheduling alliance, not to use the alliance term, mm. a scheduling agreement with the Pac-12 for not just football, but all sports. Imagine if that existed in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. We're really close Real to quick. announcing something along those lines. And the Pac-12 saying, no, actually, we're not going to do that. That would be great for college football if those two conferences were doing that. The, when, when you were in school or still, did the Pac-12 have like a basketball scheduling series with anybody like we've got the big 12 sec we have the gavit games we have the what the big 10 acc now they're going to do it with the sec was there any of that because i remember back in the day the big 12 pac 12 hardwood series that was a thing k-state played washington state and oregon and there that was there but i have not heard of that in a while so like that just goes uh, to show that that what alec is saying that they weren't even doing that for something like basketball where it's really easy to do you play 15 non-con games well they were they were they signed an agreement to play games with the SWAC, which is why ASU had a home and home with Texas Southern and lost at Texas Southern last year. And to but, be fair, there is some to be fair, Bobby Hurley schedule. Uh, hey, real quick, real quick. Hey, not to bring politics into this, that is the most Pac 12 liberal thing ever. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, to I, be fair, though, I do think it's harder for the Pac 12 to do something like that because, like Gabe always says, they're on the West Coast, and people didn't want to travel out there for games. Now, that looks really stupid in hindsight because the Big Ten oh, is now I mean, adding conference members from that are on the West Coast. So that's for just football, For football, I could see it. But, like, basketball, I think those schools are cool with it. If you give them, uh, you know, think of how many tournaments are I mean, in Vegas now, Maui. I mean, K-State went out to Cal. They're, Maryland you know, is going out to UCLA this year in a non-conference game, and UCLA was at Maryland last year for a non-conference I just, game. I, well. I don't know. I think I think that I think you're you're right there, Alec. Like they they had opportunities to to show that they could figure this out, and they just didn't grow. The Here's the other thing, thing. Okay, go ahead. One, one one quick thing to continue the Larry Scott and like where the Pac-12 went wrong in the last decade. It also went wrong in just the fact that the level of play in the league decreased dramatically because like Gabe said earlier, USC struggled um, post post sanction era with Clay Helton and Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin. Um, Oregon was only able to make it to the playoff in the first year. Stanford never made it to the playoff, even though they were really, really good under Jim Harbaugh and under David Chop until the last four or five years. David Chop um, was a fraud. Washington made it to the playoff in 2016, but like they like their, their overall quality of play decreased and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And I'm sure Gabe can enlighten more of those reasons. Well, they the quality of play decreased because so many Southeastern schools and East Coast schools and Big Ten schools were able to just walk into California and tell kids, like, even if you stay at home, nobody's going to be able to watch. Your parents aren't going to be able to watch your games because nobody can see the Pac-12 network. Like, at, at its very, very most basic point, this is just like a psychological thing. If I tell you that something is awesome, but then I hide it from you and I never let you see it, you're just going to tell me, oh, you're you're full of crap. And like, that's what the Pac-12 network was. We had games and we were like, this is a great game. You really want to see this game. Oh yeah, but only like 15% of households in the US can watch it. Now, now believe me, <laughs> that's what we were doing. We were just trying to sell people on a bag of goods and not even we, it was Larry Scott, and it was George Glavkov now. And George George was just taken over from Larry. That's the thing. Is like, yeah, Larry, Larry signed a great media rights deal in terms of pure money from ESPN and Fox, like at the time. 
but in terms of his own conference network, like that maybe is, the biggest misstep of a conference commissioner in the history no, of college. There's no oh. maybe. It is by far the biggest misstep by a conference commissioner ever. Yeah, and that's that is impressive because I mean Dan Beebe, he signed he he let Texas go ahead and get the Longhorn network, and that's what cost the Big Twelve four schools to begin well, with. Well, and that's also what know. cost the Pac twelve from from rating the Big Twelve a decade and a half ago. True. It, that is, is that true. Larry Scott in yeah. that Larry Scott wasn't willing to allow Texas to have their own network was that he wanted to have the Pac-12 network and Texas wanted to have their own thing. And if Texas and all those mm. other, was it six schools at that point? So maybe wanted, they would maybe have joined the should, Pac-12 in maybe 2010. Maybe we should look back on this and say Dan Beebe was actually chestnut checkers. He saved the big 12. He didn't kill it with the Longhorn network. He saved the big 12. Yeah, uh, he did. The he last, did. <laughs> the last no, he actually that, did. The last thing that I, I wanted to mention here, Gabe mentioned it at the start, and I, I do think that there is a, an argument back and forth on how national media handled the crumbling of the Big 12 and then the crumbling of the Pac-12. Let me lay out how I see it from the Big 12 point of view, and then Gabe can give his Pac-12 look on this. Do Here's I get to how, act like a judge? Yes, you can act like a judge. Yeah, here, here, right? Do I need to find a gavel or something to bang? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you can go bang like a, a Big Ten shirt or something. Uh, so here's how I see it. The Big 12 finds out that Oklahoma and Texas are leaving. And obviously there is this panic, whatever, it sets it off like, oh, man, this, this is not good. We're going to have realignment again. But, oh, man, this is awesome for the SEC. This is this Texas and OU, they're going into a place that they fit. Like, And it was immediately – Hey, uh, the Big 12, all your schools are going to the American Athletic Conference. Like, get get cozy with Mike Oresco. You're going to sign a, a $20 million TV deal with ESPN, and that's your life now. Or, well, some of you guys might be able to go to the Pac-12, but not all of you. Like, only four of you. And there was, there was not this big memorial service held for the Big 12 and made it feel like, wah, 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 the Big 12 is gone. And, again, we got all the puff pieces about how the Big 12 is dying. They, they're going to they're be going, getting $20 million from the AAC. Nobody felt bad for the Big 12 when this was going on, except for people inside the Big 12. And those like you and I that feel like we would rather have college football aligned the way it was in 2009. Like, that is the form that college football seems best in. It's the Big 10 with 11 teams. It's the Big 12 with 12. It's the Pac-10. You could give them Utah and somebody else if you wanted later on. The SEC and ACC all figured out. But there wasn't this great sadness that seemed to be the next time around and when the Pac-12 started to fall apart. And then in addition to that, part of this is because George Klyovkov was lying about the media deal, so people kept reporting what their Pac-12 sources were saying. But there was always a lot out there that tried to, to tear down what the Big 12 did TV-wise, that, hey, the Pac-12 is going to be fine. They're going to do this. They're going to get this done. They're going to come out better. And they're, they're always the better option until they weren't. And then everybody was crying and saying, oh, we can't have the death of West Coast football. This is so sad. This is so sad. Uh, and in reality, West Coast football is not going away. We just don't have to watch the four schools that we weren't watching to begin with, with Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State. And it sucks. It's not fun that the Pac-12 is losing and, and, and dying. I'm not saying that we should not shed a tear for the Pac-12. But what I am saying is that those tears were nowhere to be found for the Big 12 when all anybody ever told the Big 12 schools is that you were going to be in the American Athletic Conference. And not the Big 12 was going to take the AAC 
It was that the Big 12 was going to have their schools go to the AAC, and K-State was going to have to go on the road to South Florida, and KU was going to have to go play at Tulsa for conference games and football and basketball, and it was just ridiculous when people were putting that out there. It did not feel like from a Big 12 perspective that anybody had any ounce of sympathy for the league and that it was more so, eh, them's the breaks. And then the Pac-12 thing comes around. Everybody's disseminating George Klyovkov's lies about the TV deal, and they ultimately end it by, this is really sad. This is really sad for the sport. And it no doubt is. But it was also really sad for the sport when it looked like the Big 12 was going to die and OU in Texas left. The defendant can now no get more questions, your honor. Your, <laughs> the, the your honor. Can now get your honor. Um, <laughs> representing the West Coast and Pac-12 football and in memoriam, I would like to, to present the evidence that if Mason would like to claim that uh, Pac-12 football and the West Coast football isn't dead, but just that a couple of schools that nobody cares about are being left behind, well, respectfully, that's probably what was going to happen to the Big 12. You could have had those schools in the exact do the exact same thing and we could have done a prisoner swap the opposite way and there would have been a couple leftovers you know texas tech yeah we probably could have done without them like eh, who's who's really gonna lose out there like west virginia oh you know what if they're not a part of the big 12 anymore if we uh if we send k-state ku tcu baylor oklahoma state we send them to the pac-12 are we really gonna lose out like that's what would happen. And you can say it felt like everyone was cheering on the death. I know what it felt like this entire last two weeks. <laughs> it definitely felt like a lot of people rooting for a death. And uh, you know what happened? People rooted for it so hard. It actually happened. <laughs> Unlike the big 12. <laughs> so um, respectfully i actually do think for all the pondering and posturing that the the media sources do and everyone being like oh george was lying george was saying that he got a bet that he had a good deal and it was all going to be good in the end and all this kind of yada 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 you know what every time that there's a tv negotiation or every time that there's a contract negotiation between a t uh, a baseball agent and a player and a team you know what there what happens people posture teams put out reports I'm listening right now to the Chris Jones stuff and the chiefs. And you can hear on one side, people being like, here's, it sounds like they're really far apart on the deal. And on the other side, you hear from people from sources, ESPN people who very clearly are talking to the chiefs being like, you know what? We feel really good that we're going to get a deal done. And all of it is posturing. All of it is posturing. You would lie too. If you were trying to create negotiating leverage. So I don't blame people for saying things like I don't blame George Glavkov for claiming that he was having good posturing. I blame dumb people, dumb media members. But do you at least blame him for lying as big and as hard as he did? Like he made it seem like they were going to get this great deal. He said at one point, oh, we'll eventually catch, you know, USC and UCLA. He made it seem like, oh yeah, we'll be fine. And then the deal he presented was well under the big 12 and they were going to have to hit some astronomical numbers for an additional streaming service your honor to get people in <laughs> your honor i did not interrupt when the plaintiff <laughs> no you did not <laughs> um i, I didn't, i'm not I defending judge, i don't know how to stop uh, i'm not defending order, order i'm not court. defending my i'm not defending my client for lying about <laughs> or being delusional excuse me for being delusional sounds like libel your honor his 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 uh his ability to get a deal done um 
But I will just say, we both, everybody rooted for the death of one or the other. People were fine mm-hmm. with one of them dying. Uh, and and it would have been, I think that if if we had ended up in a world where that beautiful, the best logo in conference sports, the wave with the mountain and the Pac-12 crescent could have just been edited to say Pac-16 <laughs> or Pac-18. I would have been fine with it. And now everybody's like, oh, everybody being like, oh, the Big 12 people are like, oh, go go play with the AAC. All I'm hearing right now is that Cal and Stanford and Oregon State and Wazoo need to go beg their way into the Mountain West. So the difference, the difference with the difference with that is uh, Oregon State is not Kansas and Oregon State is not Oklahoma State. Like Stanford is the best athletic department in the country. Oh, God. Okay. I, and I look. I, I think that I think our judge here is a little too close to the situation, so he will probably <laughs> echo the same sentiments. Uh, but your honor, the the defense here would like to propose a settlement, and that is we uh, just put this matter to bed, and we both agree, to be a of the big, we both the agree that four of those former Pac-12 schools come and join the Big 12. Two of them go to the Big 10. And we're all happy because our schools are safe for the time being. And we are at least in somewhat of a version of no, I'm gonna rule. it still matters. We'll, we'll reconvene in 2033. <laughs> no, I'm going to rule. Uh, after hearing two uh, compelling cases from the prosecution <laughs> and the defense teams here, uh, I am going to decide. I think it was just defense. two defense teams. Yeah, yeah, we were both defensive. It's I mean, true. we were, we were both uh, in that position. I am, I am going to side with. Um, I am going to side with the Pac-12 on this. Of course. <laughs> of course. But uh, of course. let me explain why. Let me explain why. Um, the reason I'm going to side with the Pac-12, and while I do think that they were pompous and thought that they were too good to add Big 12 programs back when Texas and Oklahoma left, and I think that that is, quite frankly, the reason why the Pac-12 is probably dying and not the Big 12 is dying. Um, the Big 12 schools that were told that, like, oh, you're going to go play in the American or – the American is going to absorb those schools. Um, the, those schools are the exact same as the four that are now left in the pack four or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I have no idea what those four schools are, are going to be or would have been. Um, but I also think that it's really sad to think about the fact that um, the pack 12 had been around, I think since like 1915 um, and, and the big 12 obviously hasn't been around for as long as as the Pac-12 has. Real quick and, for the audio only listeners, I uh, I just wiped some yeah. some tears away, uh, uh, and then Gabe gave the double birds to me. So uh, we so may be conference mates next year, big, but we aren't. The Big yet. Sixteen is going to have some crazy new rivalries. So and starting with number one ASU in West Virginia. Here's here's the other thing that makes me side with the Pac-12 is in this argument's sake is that the big 12 was routinely pushed, pushed closer and closer and closer to the edge, but it was never actually pushed off the edge of the cliff. The, the pac 12 was pushed off the edge of the cliff. So I think that there would have been an equal level of sadness in there. There. What, what was that? He said, said you shouldn't have been, have been standing, standing there. there. Oh. Just, <laughs> there. There's, I think that there would have been an equal level of sadness had certain big 12 schools been, for lack of a better term, relegated to a, a group of five or a lower level conference. And we just never got a chance to actually see yeah. that because yeah. the, the conference didn't die because they hired good leadership and because they made 
effective and, and smart strategic decisions um, behind Brett Yormark and as a conference um, presidents and chancellors committee to not allow that to happen. And I also would like to say here one, one final thing here. The Big 12 knew how to react when Texas and Oklahoma left because they had a, at one point lost six of their original 12 members to other conferences. The Pac-12 had no idea how to react when USC and UCLA left because it, they had never, never done ever, anything other than add. Yes, yeah. and they had never even considered the possibility of any of their members leaving for another conference because geography had always mattered um, in college sports. And that obviously doesn't matter anymore with what the big 10 has done. Um, and to a further, to another extent, the big 12 has done with, you know, obviously West Virginia and you know, Arizona schools being in the same conference. And I think that you combine all those different things. And another reason why I think that the big 12 was able to survive is because the eight schools that were left in the big 12 are all very similar, like-minded institutions from an academic perspective, from an athletic goals perspective. Except they're all KU, very similar. AAU. Kansas state is very similar to Texas tech. Um, Iowa state's very similar to Baylor. Um, now, obviously there's some politics there that make them. I mean, you, different. you look at it, K state, Oklahoma state and Iowa state are like the exact same school. Like, but there is in no every, every like rung of the ladder. They are the but exact there is same. no similarity between Cal, Stanford, USC, UCLA, and the other That's eight schools that, that really made it. UCLA and UC Berkeley are both UC institutions. <laughs> no, They're no. Exactly what I was gonna say, those four schools are all like very like-minded academically. Um, but the other eight schools that I think made up the Pac-12 are very different. Like they have different goals and different ideologies Whereas the eight schools in the Pac-12, or the, excuse me, in the Big 12 that were left over after Texas and Oklahoma left, were all very similar. I think there was different goals amongst the remaining schools in the Pac-12, and I think that's part of the reason why it, it, it's it's now the Pac-4. Um, and at the end of the day, my final thoughts on all this: I'm sad this is happening. Um, I'm I'm actually very upset it's all happening. I don't think it's good for the fans, but it's okay to have that opinion and also be excited for the opportunity that we're going to get to see more exciting helmet matchups every Saturday. I would, uh, I, I'll real quick. I'll go and then I'll let Gabe finish us off. Here's, here's what I think is essentially the big 12 already had its death and funeral in, in 2010 when that was the last year of all 12 teams together. And then 2011 Nebraska and Colorado were gone. And then 2012 Missouri and A&M were gone. So the Big 12 already had their true like mourning period where it was, we just lost schools that had been integral to this league since we all got together in the mid-90s. And for some of them, in, in the case of Missouri and Colorado and Nebraska, you lost almost half of the original Big 8 right there. And, and that's something that mattered a lot to anybody that was a part of the original Big 8. Like That was, that was significant. I mean, Oklahoma lost their – biggest rival next to Texas in Nebraska and a ton of history there, Colorado and Nebraska, they both left the same conference for different ones. And that ripped apart a rivalry that had developed there. And there was history K state in Nebraska. Like there are just so many of these things. KU and Missouri is it just gone like that. And like, that's an unfortunate thing. And uh, it, it's, it's one of those deals where like, I think the, why it's different now for the big 12 is the big 12 at least got to have their serious, like, we just lost our dad type moment in, in 2010. Whereas now they're just kind of going through, yeah, you know, 
great grandpa. He was, he's 98 years old. He was on life support. Like he's just sitting in his chair, all peeing his pants in the retirement home. Like it, it's fine that he's out of his misery now. Whereas the PAC 12, like they just lost their mom and dad in like a surprise car crash at 38 years old. And now you've got these kids who are like, what do we do? Those are really bad analogies, but I'm just trying to like find something here. Like I think to I get won the analogy. We're an hour into this. They got to catch somebody's shooting. And then Gabe's really good at analogies. It's I was, right. I was going to say also, you know, you talked about the big 12 pushing the back 12 off the ledge. I was going to view it more like when you're like right next to like a, a mountainous hill or something. And it says, be, be weary of falling rock. The big 12 was just like driving on the road, like 20 feet away from it. And the rock comes tumbling down and just takes them out of nowhere. Whereas the Pac-12 had been standing right underneath the sign, looking yes. straight up for however long, like just daring the rock to fall on them. And then it fell on them like, oh, man, it's really sad that that guy died. And it's like, he's an idiot. He should have died <laughs> 10 years ago. No, so no, 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 no. It's it. like It's like standing, looking up at the falling rock. And then as the rock starts to roll, you like move away, but you still stick your leg out just to see if you can get it again. <laughs> <laughs> and then you fall off the cliff because of it. Uh, um, my last and parting thought is this. Now that the Pac-12 has died, now that everyone has gotten what they wanted in the mid Midwest um, and the East Coast, uh, because I won that argument and everyone was rooting for the demise of West Coast football, um, can we all, in an alliance here, <clears throat> agree? Can we look each other in the eye? Can we look each other in the eye? We don't need to write any papers and sign anything, but can we all look each other in the eye and pledge that we will watch the Pac-12 this year because it has Buddy, the best. I don't need to pledge. I already do. It has the best quarterback play, and it should be the most entertaining conference, top to top to middle. <laughs> I, you know, here's here's what I will say. I I will I will watch. I will watch members of the twelve this upcoming year. Mason, your daughter and is going to keep you up to all hours let of the me, night. Let me watch a lot let, of Pac-12 Let football. me do this real quick. Uh, we are 23 days away from some teams kicking off. It's time for the Big 12 scoreboard. Thursday, August 31st, 7 p.m., Florida at Utah. A big-time matchup between the SEC and future crown jewel of the Big 12 conference. The Utes, later that oh, same night. Oh, you're calling night, them the crown jewel? Uh, you know, hey, they 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 are going to be That's up there. That's big of you. I'm, That's I'm just, big of you. I'm, it hey, is. I'm trying to hand out all of Brandon. Kyle Whittingham has got a storm coming, boy. At 9 p.m., none of us in Big 12 country are going to be able to watch our Sun Devils play Southern Utah because it's 9 o'clock on Pac-12 Network. Is that the Dilly debut? We'll find a way. Yes, it is. And then, oh, what just a preview of what's to come. Big nude kickoff on Saturday, September 2nd, 11 a.m. Fox. Colorado at TCU. Coach Prime going to get his butt kicked because he's a Historic fraud. conference and then, rivals. Again, Big 12 battle. Arizona hosts Northern Arizona, 9 p.m. Pac-12 Network that night. They, and that is your lose. Big 12 scoreboard. They're not going to lose that game. <laughs> hey, I don't know enough about Northern Arizona. By the way, before let's talk real quick. Football point. Uh, speaking of Colorado, a tweet came across my timeline this morning. Uh Shador Sanders has apparently thrown 22 or 25 touchdowns in training camp and zero interceptions. So be wow. scared, America. Wow. What are the chances? Well, hey, hey, I've heard a lot about fake news coming out of the Pac-12. So be wary <laughs> of media reports 
So yeah, seriously, probably right. Colorado is not going to be good this year. Don't don't take anything we just said this last hour eleven seriously because it could all change by tomorrow if the ACC finally gets out of their crappy grant of rights deal. That'll do it for me, Mason Voth, as well as Alec Bussey and Gabe Schwartz. And uh, you can follow along with all of us at either EMA Online or The Hoosier and uh, also on the Twitter handles that you see on the video below our names as well.